Right. The long and short of it is that basically over the last few days, I've come to realise something really important. And I just wrote a letter, an open letter to my players about it, which I really hope they're going to accept in the spirit it's intended and, and respond to positively. But basically, I realise the kind of GM I am. And that's a GM who believes in the agency theory of fun and the idea that basically it's more fun to go on safari than it is to go to a theme park. What I mean is I don't want to play a super plotted game where the outcome is already determined and the players have an illusion of a like choice. I want the players to have choice, agency. What they do matters. Of course, the flip side of that is that what they do can lead to horrendous loss. Without loss in a game, there isn't really, I think, a lot of fun in playing. And of course, the ultimate loss is the loss of your character, the playing piece in this game. And of course, that's painful. But without that risk, I don't believe that the game is as fun. And don't get me wrong, I believe there are plenty of fun games that have low risk but they don't last. The thing is, though, that I don't think the game rules are as big a deal in this as people make out. I think that a high-powered game can have high agency, and I think a low-powered game can have high agency. I think risk is much, much, much more rewarding the lower the level of power but of course, power is a relative scale. And if you've got a high-powered game, well, the threats and the challenges need to be high-powered too. And that's fine. It's just that my personal taste tends towards lower power, a bit more gritty, greater sense of verisimilitude, I guess, in the sense of the world being understandable and believable from a kind of yeah humanistic position. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being a superhero. It's just that that's never appealed to me quite as much as it does to people who love superhero films and superhero comics. So what I've done is I've sent a letter to my players. I've sent a note to them via our WeMew group. And I've basically said, look, this is the kind of GM I am. I want to play a sandbox and I want there to be agency. But I'm kind of flexible on the level of power in the game. And I'm going to genuinely hold myself to that. So I guess that means we could change rule set. The final thing I've done is I've asked them, you know what, can I kind of reboot my sandbox? Can I have a new world? Can I, yeah, do a do over <laughs> to create the fantasy world that I kind of want to run? And that's not to say that the world I've been running isn't the one I want to run. In a lot of ways it is. But it's not entirely mine anymore. And so I guess this is now the story of how I build that campaign. And whether I can bring the players with me. And the heart, I really hope I can. Because genuinely, I like those guys and I want a game with them. But hey, these are the choices that ultimately we as a group have to make. Welcome to the Roleplay Rescue Game Master's Journal. My name is Che Webster, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of my own Game Master journey. 
Each journal episode features my audio notes recorded here and there over the weeks between my regular gaming sessions. It's a pretty candid snapshot of my inner life as a gamer. So you have been warned. Game on. Last time on GM's Journal. So, yeah, not exactly a high point to leave this particular um, week of gaming, is it, really? Um, I screwed up and completely toasted the bloody school game and a TPK in the adult game. And, yeah, what kind of GM's might make me then? Hey, Che, Jim's Journal number eight. I thought that was really interesting, mate. Um, sounds like you got off onto a bit of a bad start with your Easter, but I'm going to give you a bit of a kick up the arse there, mate. I reckon you can pull that round. I thought what you did with the kids was really interesting. They should have taken away some lessons from that. Sound they had a good, sounded like they had a good time. And you can't just go killing people willy-nilly. My characters have learnt it the hard way as well in, in the games that I run. I thought you did that perfect. Admittedly, you don't always want a couple of um, players sat to one side, perhaps uh, not doing too much, but you're running a shorter session, so I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat that. As for character death and stuff, yeah, that, that's always hard, and it, it, it is brutal playing BX, and it takes time to adjust, I think. I feel a little bit down sometimes when that happens, what you need to remember is, and I don't need to tell you this, that the the characters kill themselves. You're not killing them. You're not going out of your way. You're um, maybe playing things a little bit more random than you're used to. So there's going to be upsets. Um, if it turns out that that's not a style of play you enjoy, then you, you, you can just you know go back to something else. Part of the reason why I'm looking at 5e again is because... Um, I feel a little bit sorry for my players when when they're not making any progress and they they don't like uh, dying too much. And to tell you the truth, I get to like the the characters and you know their story. And but I do think you need to kill the odd character, or if the odd character dies, I should say, it, it just keeps that risk there, and that's important. But too too much too, TPK is hard, hard, hard. Yeah, Che, me again, and I was just thinking on that a little bit more. I probably didn't make myself clear. Um, I actually can't think of a time when I've wiped out a whole party. So um, I've only been on the receiving end. Um, and, yeah, yeah, it's a time of reflection. I think if some of them can get out, it it is really helpful because you've got, also got the problem of your derailing your campaign a little bit uh, if you've got some quite interesting story and complex story that's built up you then got the problem of continuity and everything else so ah oh yeah it's a really tough one man i do sympathize with you even though i was giving you a kick up the arse earlier but um hey, you'll be fine man just um play some traveler or something and uh work it out your system Hey, this is Ray. I am driving, so maybe a little bit noisy. I was listening to your episode uh, called TPK, the GM Journal episode, in which you talked about 
some of your kids' characters acting out in-game and how you put them on trial and execute them and then felt guilty about it, man, don't feel guilty about that. You weren't doing it to be punitive. You were doing it to restore some sanity in your fantasy world, and I think that's excellent. I think the kids enjoyed that or weren't bothered by it because they want things, they want actions to have consequences. They want meaning. Uh, my wife was a high school teacher for many years, and she's a very consistent and structured person. And one of the things that kids really loved about her was that structure. Uh, they were treated like adults. They were given dates and deadlines, and they met those deadlines, and they didn't. And it wasn't a big um, moralizing, you know, guilt trip. If they missed something, she would just inform them where they were at and uh, treated them like adults. So I think you felt guilty because of this notion that society gives us that we're supposed to treat kids differently. Um, but they weren't respecting your time, you know, by giving the game their full attention and seriousness. And you taught them that that wasn't going to fly and that their actions in the world, they couldn't just be silly, right? That the, that the fantasy world had meaning, that it had an internal structure, that it had um, consistency. And I think that's a, that was probably a great lesson. Uh, I wouldn't dwell on it. I'd just move on from there. But good stuff. I, you know, don't feel guilty. Um, don't make it a big deal. Just uh, keep at it. Loved it. Hi, Alfred here. Just listened to your last uh, recent couple of podcasts. Um, the kids at the school game, it sounds like, um, well, they sort of had it coming to them when they need to, uh, I don't know if take it seriously is the right thing to say, but just um, learn from their actions a little bit. Seems like they took it pretty well. I don't think it's going to have a massive impact on the, your game in there. Um, the only thing I was a little bit disappointed was that they didn't sort of worry more about their characters, as if you know they weren't playing them to the point where their characters were going to be executed, and they weren't didn't seem that bothered about it. But I think it's uh, still a good learning exercise. So um, yeah, you'll have to see how it goes on the next game. But at least they seem to enjoy it, or most of them. Just doing a Jackson. Wanted to talk about the TPK you had. Um, I think all game systems and all campaigns, there should always be a chance that characters are going to die. And until players have got used to that and seen some characters um, die, then I think there's something mission, missing. There's no tension in the game. Um, you start to feel invincible. Um, I know when we played, when we was young, we used to play for years and DMs used to fudge rolls and that so they wouldn't have to start campaigns again or things like that so I think it's good that characters die um, the players will get over it um, I think you should probably get yourself into a Kalmata game and you'll see what it's like on the player side and um, I think it definitely adds something to the game so yeah get out there do a bit more playing get used to it and you'll realize you're doing the right thing as a GM Hey Che, it's Jeff, and this time is this is my first time calling. I just listened to your TPK episode, and and I know you're down, but I just wanted to say that I think you handled the kids at your school group um, really, really well. Um, I, you know, I'm a parent, and I know that uh, kids they they want to try things out, but they hate consequences, but they still need to try. 
and I think you gave them a session and showed them some consequences, uh, but they didn't really have that many consequences, and they get to make up a new character, and they'll be back next week, and I guarantee you they'll have a cool story to tell their friends about the time they got put on trial in your game. So uh, I think you handle it real well, and I just wanted to say I, I hope you feel better. Guys, thank you for calling in. An amazing set of call-ins, to be honest with you. Uh, four different people who just taken time to be so encouraging and so supportive. I think it really shows the strength of the Anchor community. And yeah, I, these these messages have been coming in through my week, and um, I don't think I can add much to what was said by the guys. I thank you so much for the words. I think my favourite comment really comes from Jeffrey Collier there at the end. And, and Jeff, thanks for calling in, first time caller. That idea that, you know what, they're going to have a good memory at school. The only thing that's really bugging me all week is I just don't think the adults are going to have quite as good positive memory. But <sighs> what to say? You know what, this episode is really the last four days. Me going from being in a, what I call a blue funk, a real state, a really bad down time, to the realisation that kind of opened this episode. Nay, the revelation that, in fact, as a GM, mostly I think I'm doing the right things. The problem is that I'm not always talking to my players about how my gaming is developing and you know I think in the end it's important that I stay true to the kind of game and the kind of good times that I want to create thank you guys for calling in it's really great to hear from you and you know what you pretty much got me through the last few days but, you know, here's the story. And it ain't all pretty. It's the Sunday after the TPK. Yesterday I was really down. It was tough, actually. Um, what I'd call a blue funk. Uh, not quite depression, because that's a long-term condition. And there isn't really the right word for it. But I was very low. Felt like a failure. Sure that I just didn't want to play anymore. Of course, like all things, those feelings pass. One of the things that's helped me, though, has been reading Alexander Macris's book, um, Arbiter of Worlds. It's a primer for GMs. It's really interesting. And I've been slowly reading it over a couple of weeks and reading a little bit before bed. And the early part of the book was nothing terribly surprising in lots of ways. But I've become quite absorbed in... Two things. First of all, his recommendation for setting up a sandbox and how to do that. And then actually some really useful tips in there, things I hadn't necessarily come across before. And secondly, the section I started reading today, which is about being a games master in a practical sense, like how to host a game and stuff. And again, full of quite useful ideas. I think mostly the useful analogies. And there were two bits in the book that have really kind of hit me today. And one is from early in the book. I think it's on page seven. It talks about how it's not the GM's role. It's not the GM's job to make sure the players have fun. And he takes apart the argument that it is. 
it very briefly outlines that really the GM's role is not to help players have fun, but rather to provide an environment in which that fun is possible. And that's a very different thing, and I like that, and it's encouraged me today. The second bit was talking about running a game and setting up your and hosting your game, and there are a couple of things. Uses a nice analogy. Do your players want to go on a safari, or do your players want to go to a theme park? Now, to me, I'm not sure this is a new analogy. I think it's probably been around a while, but for me it was new. I haven't read all the blogs out there in the world. And I think I've got a problem because I think I've got a group of players who say they want a safari and what they really want is a theme park. Or at least I've got some players who want a theme park. And I think I just have to be honest and say that that's not the kind of game I want to run anymore. I used to run those kinds of games back probably several years ago. Games where character death was unusual, where I would fudge everything, where I would try and make sure that there was a a progression of story in a way that actually was pre-meditated. But now I am a convert to older forms of gaming in which it's a safari, it's a dangerous place out there, and in which I am not steering a plot or creating a story up front, but in which, in fact, the play is emergent. So if I've made any mistake as GM, it is not being explicit about these and a few other things. And I guess that's what I need to work on. I need to work on being explicit about those ideas and those expectations at my gaming table. And of course, the big dilemma in my heart right now is whether to continue the campaign that we've been playing or whether to do a new one. And I'm really, really, really drawn towards starting over, starting fresh. And that's kind of, I don't know, it's difficult for me. There's part of me that's mourning. And there's a part of me that's hopeful and excited. And I wrote a blog post this morning about where I'm starting. And I don't know, I am definitely going to go and create something new. It's just whether I bring that to the table. And I'm going back to 1974. I dug out Delving Deeper, which is a retro cone of the 1974 game. And I have a look at that. And I also dug out my Hargrave arguing grimoire stuff because I've been saying for many years I want to use this stuff and I never do it, so it's time. And of course, alongside Alexandra Macris's Arbiter of Worlds, I think I have three tools that I can use to build something that I'm excited about that is fresh and allows me perhaps to have a fresh start. It could be that I bring that, this thing, this project to a solo game. It could be that I take it to school or it could be that I bring it to the Friday game or even the Saturday game. But I'm going to do something new this week. Because at the moment my heart is broken over what happened on Friday night. Hi guys. Um, Things to cheer me up on a Monday morning. I just had a parcel delivered. And um, here it is. And I kind of think, I suspect what it, I know what it is. And I'm just going to 
unbox it now. So, uh, blade in hand, cut the box. Oh, what have we got? Okay. Paper pack. Inside box. <laughs> okay. One pulls at the tabs. It's what I thought it was, and I'm sort of mostly happy. <laughs> okay, this is the RuneQuest role-playing Grantha slipbox case, and I'm mostly impressed because the corner has been slightly dinged, and me and Tim Shorts are now in tears. But I'm going to ignore it because this is a fab fabuloso thing. So, get rid of the packaging. RuneQuest, role-playing in Glorantha. I'm just going to turn and read the back. What is Glorantha? Glorantha is the mythical world that can be found on the other side of our consciousness. First discovered by Greg Stafford over 50 years ago, Glorantha has been explored in such games as White Bear and Red Moon, Dragon Pass, RuneQuest, HeroQuest and King of Dragon Pass. Try out a skill-based percentile system that balances experience-driven progression with deadly combat. And there's a lot in here. So in the box, in this box set, is basically the core rules of RuneQuest, okay, in the role-playing of Grantha book. Now, I've already got a copy of that book, but um, I kind of figured, hey, what the hell, I might as well have two copies of the table. Because I can have the slip box set. Um, and also in here is the RuneQuest Grantha Beastery, which is about half, maybe a little under half the thickness of the main rule book. And then also the RuneQuest Game Master Screen Pack. And that looks pretty cool. That's um, half the size of the book as well. And they all come in a slipcase, um, which is shrink wrapped. And next step, cut the shrink wrap. There we go. Okay, you always have to be really careful sticking a blade in between the shrink wrap and the books. There we go. So, oh, a ton. Right, shrink wrap off, books. Can I just pull them forward in the, in the pack? So, RuneQuest Roleplaying Grantha Rulebook. Something I think I've already talked about and I took with me to recent uh, Grantha game show. And um, yeah, it's cool. New book smell. I do love it. Full colour, absolutely beautiful. If you haven't checked out the new RuneQuest books, the production values are just incredible. RuneQuest Grantha Bestiary. Fantastic. <laughs> that's got to be dragon newts on the back fantastic gorgeous pictures um oh look at that creaking of the pages really nice binding really nice book yeah full color throughout looking at through the pages oh it's even got right, okay so the main rule book has got like a a bookmark you know sewn in silk bookmark and this one has two that is gorgeous. What's the bookmark in anyway? Brew cults. <laughs> one of my favourite things in the world are the brew. Malia is the foul mistress. Diseases are everywhere in Grantha. Filthy creatures such as brews dedicate themselves to her worship. Her temples consist of the presence of her disease masters. Ah, oh, cool. Great stuff. There's so much to learn though. <laughs> but yes, what about the ways of cheering me up? Okay. 
Oh, there's so much good stuff in here. It's so different, Lorenzo, if you're not familiar with it. I mean, like, I'm looking at the elves. Elves, Aldramani, um, Aldriami, yeah. Um, and they're kind of woodland, basically. They're like, they look a bit like humanoid trees. Um, and they're just so cool. And the imagery in here is just so cool. And there are lots of different types. Um, little stuff like that, just absolutely love. My my favourite thing in the whole world, of course, being dragon newts. Um, I guess you might have spotted that theme with me, that I love dragonoid, draconic things. Um, and uh, I think that largely comes from two things. I think it comes from RuneQuest's dragon newts, which were the first things that I thought were really, 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 really cool when I first got second edition of RuneQuest. Remember, it was my first game. And then later, the dragon... Uh, the Dragonlance stuff, I really love the idea of the Draconians. Alright, final bit, and it's shrink-wrapped in and of its own, is the Game Master Pack, um, which basically appears to contain a number of items. And it looks like when I unshrink-wrap this, there's like a little folder thing that everything slots back into. And I'm sort of slightly loathe to open it right now, because, you know, <laughs> I'll never get it all back in. But, you know, here we go. Gently with the blade, Webster. Gently. I find it so hard to get shrink wrap off. And uh, the only way I know is really to sort of pop a blade in um, to get an edge on it, and then we can go from there. Right. Game Master Pack. Shrink wrap. Removed. Okay, so it's like a little. A half-size pack thing that kind of slips around this. I'm hoping everything's going to go back in. Um, so there's a wraparound sheet for... Whoop, just covered the mic in my... With the wraparound sheet. So a little wraparound sheet. Game Master Resources. So in here is supposed to be a 124-page book containing source material for the Colmar clan and the Hamlet of Apple Lane. Three ready to play adventures and many adventure seeds. That sounds awesome. It's paperback, it's softback. Um, kind of thickish card cover, nice and silky and gorgeous. Um, <laughs> yeah, full color again, bollocks fit. Yeah, gorgeous stuff. Lots and lots of hey, Grinkle's pawn shop. <laughs> All the things I love, love the maps. Oh, it looks really cool, actually. Does look really cool. No, yeah, um, okay. And then also in here is 20 page reference book, Game Master References. So that's here, that's paper, thin thing. Um, this contains all the tables, really. Looks good. Um, quick reference guides. Yep, looks great, actually. Lots of really cool, cool reference material, weapon lists, spirit magic spells, rune magic spells, all cool. All right. And then a Grantham calendar. Okay, so it's got on the back a kind of summary calendar you expect to hang on a wall and sort of small version, I suppose. And then the inside is a full, yeah, it's like a wall calendar with a picture on top and the calendar bit below. And it kind of tells you the days and when all the different celebrations are, and, you know, holy days, I guess. Awesome. And then, oh wow, this is a, next thing is supposed to be, next thing I've got is a blank character sheet which is in full colour and like hand, looks like a hand, a piece of art, it's gorgeous. Cannot, <laughs> just like, what, I don't know, 
lost words really. It's absolutely gorgeous full colour character sheet that I kind of like. Don't know how I'd ever use, but and it's four. It's like a booklet, like four sides. So and it's absolutely lovely. I just don't know if I'd ever use it, but and then you've got a kind of clean white one, which is you know is the kind of much cleaner style. My one's got slightly dinged at the top. I went to fold in. There's a this page has been kind of caught. I think um, slightly damaged, but you know I can live with that. And you. Now, I've got these files electronically as well. I'll talk about that in a second. Okay, so character sheets. And then what's next supposed to be is pre-generated characters. So, yeah, there is um, one, two... Harmas, oh, Baranathos, son. Guy I played when I was up at the convention the other week. Yep, loads of those. Absolutely loads of them, actually. It's about six, maybe... Six or seven, maybe eight. Don't know. Um... And a non-player character sheet, sheet, um, and a squad sheet. Interesting, which I guess is for like multiple non-player characters. And then a map of Apple Lane, in full colour, folded. Um, it's actually the map of the village itself, which is lovely. And on the other side, it's like a map of. I'm guessing the area around that. Although I don't know enough about the territory to be sure. Looks gorgeous, full colour map, Tosh. Um, my guess is that's going to be the lands of the Colomar. And then a full coloured printed map of another section of the map, which I think might go south of this. I can see the overlap. Okay, so it's sort of south and south and west of this, of that area, and shows Prax and the Beast Valley. And on the other side has got a map of Clearwine, which is a city, which looks rather gorgeous as well. Walled city. Um, fab. And then I've got a map of... It's a much bigger map, so this one's more... Those were like a... Three. This is kind of double size. What's that? Eighty-two. Um, Colomar tribe lands map. Um, cool. So I can see where Clearwine is. Um, An Apple Lane as well. And then on the other side. Oops, sorry, hitting the mic again with my paper. Um, the actual Colomar clans divided up by the different um, clans. So that's kind of cool. And then I've got a mass, a map of Dragon Pass in 1625, which is very large and one-sided and full colour. And oh yes, absolutely lovely. That's gorgeous, actually. Um Oh my goodness, huge. Um, and then a GM screen, which is, says on here, a GM screen. One, two. So it's a four panel horizontal screen. Artwork on the back is lovely. We've probably seen that before if you've been paying any attention. There's a sort of a, a, a long ship going up past 
the walls of a city, which is all decorated with various figures. Um, and inside all the reference tables, um, which looks really nice, and it's on a thick card, really nice. does look like it will be a very useful tool. Um, that folds up nicely. So that's the Game Master resource pack. Now, I mentioned PDFs. Um, so every, if you buy this set, or if you buy any of the individual books from um, the Chaosium directly, you get PDFs for free. Now, I bought the PDFs of these books months ago, and what they've done is they sent me a voucher for the value of those PDFs towards my box set. So my box set should have cost me like £97, I think, and has actually cost me like £47. So essentially, I got back the value of the PDFs off the copy of the book, and you know, for 50 quid, it is the whole game and absolutely lovely and wonderful, and I really want to play it. But what I would say is even if you're buying just like the core rules or you're just interested in like finding out a bit about this game, you will get a PDF for free immediately. And also worth saying if you're in the UK that it ships from the UK. So they've put these books, I think in three places around the world. I think they've gone to Australia. I think there's a place in America and there's a warehouse in the UK. So if you're buying from Europe, it'll come from the UK. If you're buying from America, obviously from America. And if you're buying from Australia, from Oz, which is fabulous because... Um, it means that the postage is negligible, um, about four quid or something. And I just got it within a couple of days. So these came available, I think, on last week on maybe Thursday or Friday. And I've got mine today, Monday. So that's just absolutely brilliant. How am I feeling? I'm feeling excited to play RuneQuest. And there's a little part of my heart that just knows I probably won't be able to because I don't know if my guys are into it. But hey, I really, really love this product. It's fun, fantastic stuff. And the only question I have, really, the only problem I think I have with RuneQuest is how quick are you going to get more adventures and stuff out, boys? Because I know that the fans of this stuff will devour these adventures in no time. But, you know, small grumble, I suppose. These are gorgeous, gorgeous books, gorgeous role-playing materials, very highest quality. Hats off to the chaos. If you haven't tried RuneQuest, my goodness, at least take a look at the website and check it out. Right, I'm going to stop blithering, get this stuff away. Awesome. Oh, guys, crikey, I'm so conflicted. <laughs> it's Monday. I just received RuneQuest maybe half hour, an hour ago, which is great. And um, just stuck something in the oven to cook, which was nice. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking what to do this afternoon and what to do with the week, really. I'm really conflicted. I've got a number of projects bubbling around my head. I'm still pretty cheesed off with... Stuff that happened on Friday. Um, this has affected me far more deeply than I expected, but there you go. Um, so I guess there are three things that are really vying for my attention, and I guess four if I had RuneQuest. There's obviously, I've been talking about Traveller a lot, and I want to sort of dive into playing some Traveller solo. I also uh, really excited over the weekend about doing something with Arduin. Post about wanting to do sort of a new campaign and use some of the stuff from Arduin and also kind of get to the root of kind of creating a Borderlands game. I really want to use some of the stuff from Arbiter of Worlds to help build that as well. I'm really up for that. And then there's obviously continuing with my campaign prep. And it's odd, the last thing I want to do is do my campaign prep. That's very sad, isn't it? 
But anyway, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to have something to lunch and I'm going to like chill a little bit and let it mull over my head, I suppose, and see what kind of comes naturally because in the end, it's got to be fun. <laughs> it's got to be fun, guys. So we'll see what happens. Hey, so what I did on Monday afternoon is I watched Made in America, a movie about the Iran-Contra affair, which was great fun. And straight after that, you know what? Ooh, I just went for a walk. I uh, I actually just popped on my shoes and walked down to the local Aldi. It's maybe about a 15-minute walk away, so 30 minutes there and back. Oh, just getting in from the from the walk, so my heart rate should just begin to come down. And, uh, yeah, I got myself out of breath, got myself some sunshine because it's gorgeous. And got myself some breakfast, German breakfast, which is something I really love an Aldi sells, so... Just pop down there, you know, £3.70, £3.80 for a couple of packs of bratties, and then back home, get some fresh air, get some perspective, really. And there I am, I'm back, I was making myself a cup of coffee, and then I'm going to sit down and do something hobby. Um, don't know, a big part of me wants to read my RuneQuest book, obviously. A big, big part of me wants to sit down with Traveller and build something, make something. Um, and then, of course, there's always build something or make something with delving deeper and the arguing stuff as well so i don't know um but i'm gonna do something so yeah feel good you know it feels good to get some fresh air perhaps for me at least the best cure for a down blue funk <laughs> but hey i've got a little bit of time um wife's out till with some friends this afternoon this evening so a little bit of time to myself and um yeah let's kind of get my head in the right place so it feels good. So here you go, guys. I even went for a walk. <laughs> All right, so it's Tuesday morning. Um, I'm off out a bit later on. I've got a few errands to run, and I'm meeting a friend in Nottingham at around about 11. I've just taken the wife to work and driven back. It's, it's about 10 to 7, so I've got maybe a good hour or so before I have to head out. Feeling pretty inspired. Had a really positive dream, actually, last night, which I don't mind sharing. Um, in short, I had uh, a picture in my mind of the Golden Circle, which is something that Simon Sinek uh, kind of taught me. Uh, Simon Sinek, I can't remember how you pronounce his name. Um, the long and short of it is there's a, think of three concentric circles. Um, on the outside, you've got what in the middle, you've got kind of towards the middle, you've got how, and right in the middle, you've got why. And Simon Sinek, uh, his advice is to start with why. And waking this morning, that's exactly what kind of hit my mind. My why. Why do I get out of bed every day? Well, that's simple. I've said it many times on this podcast. To create, I want to create communities of discovery in which people can be accepted. That's why I get out of bed in the morning. And my Friday night group is a community of discovery, and I want everyone to feel accepted. Um, right now, they're not happy necessarily with what I'm doing, um, and I'm not necessarily happy with how that interaction has gone, but I want to create a community of discovery in which everyone feels accepted. Also, you know, for me, this podcast and all that I'm doing here, this is about creating a community of discovery in which people can feel accepted. And I think another big part of me is I recognize that I'm in full, in, full on into butterfly mode. Um, you know, that I'm flitting around thinking, what do I want to do? I'm reacting to Friday. Um, but actually, there's a creative part of me that really was lit up 
by something else at the weekend. So whilst, um, you know, the TPK last Friday kind of really affected me in a deep way, I was reading The Arbiter of Worlds by um, Alexander McCree. And as you know, I've made comment on this so far this week, I really enjoyed the book. And actually, it's making me realize, helping me realize that I want to create. And one of the things I, I realized from last night and uh, for, of into this morning is that Mr. whilst uh, a, a, something I've worked on for a while, um, essentially isn't entirely mine. It sort of part belongs to the design mechanism. Part of that world has been published and it's been moved into Graymore. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. But it sort of ceased to be mine to some degree. And I feel that deep down. And uh, what Arbiter of Worlds has reminded me is that um, I can create and I can create something a little better as well. There's a great lessons in Arbitral Worlds that I really want to share, and I really want to share the process of creation with, with you guys and help you to kind of think about creating your own worlds. Anyway, reading Alexander McCree has got me thinking about his game as well. Uh, he's the creator of Adventure or Conqueror King system, which I started reading kind of yesterday, a little bit the day before. Um, I grabbed the PDF. I've been so excited I've also ordered the hardback again because <laughs> I used to own it. I've never played it. And what I want to do today is I kind of want to sit down for an hour now and I'm just going to create a character using that system and uh, allow myself to dig into that a little bit. But what I am actually going to do when I get back this afternoon and into tomorrow and probably into Thursday before my parents arrive for a visit on Friday is I'm going to use Arbitral Worlds to create uh, a fantasy setting. That's kind of what I want to do. Now in my mind is this thing I, I wrote about on Sunday to work with Hargrave and uh, Delving Deeper. And I've read Delving Deeper on Sunday night, which was good. It again reminded me of how 1974 D&D was and is. And there's a lot of cool things in there, but there's also a lot of things I don't like in there. So I guess what I'm going to be doing is sort of slowly writing my own Heartbreaker. You know, they call it a Heartbreaker because, no, you know, you publish these things and I don't sell. But... I guess that's what I'm going to be doing. And I've been wanting to do this for a long while. And I've had three or five, I don't know, five attempts at writing my own system. But I think, I think it's going to end up being a blend. And, you know, I like blends. <laughs> uh, I know I've got friends with whiskey who will, you know, the single malt only. But the blends are sort of, you know, a little bit more smooth sometimes and a little bit nicer to taste. Same with coffee. Same with so many things. I kind of like a blend. And that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to blend. And there are a lot of things, a lot of really good things that I want to draw from. And the great thing is that Axe, uh, Adventure Conquer King, is open as well. So apart from the setting stuff, everything in there is open gaming license. So is Delving Deeper. And the things I want to take from Arduin are things that I can write they're systemly things more than anything and things that I can write for myself. And then there are some ideas and bits and pieces of spells and monsters and stuff like that, that, you know, I can kind of bring into my game. I'm not aiming to publish particularly. I'm just aiming to do my own game. Maybe bring that to the gaming table. So there's a scary thought. <laughs> um, but it's going to be a blend. It's not going to be something I do overnight. It's not going to be something that I do uh, quickly either. Um, it's going to be a blend. So I think my new baseline, it might end up being X. I'm not sure, but we'll see. 
I kind of like um, what McCree has done with that game. There's a lot of cool things in there. And particularly like the idea that you can go from, you know, zero to kind of a kingdom ruler. And it's that Borderlands thing that I want to play around with and create. So that's where I am this morning. And I'm just going to spend the next hour or so rolling a character up and doing a bit of solo in, cheer myself up. I'll let this thing mull over in my mind. And when I come back, it's, um, it's draw a map, you know, it's start building a campaign world. That is my own. That is my own, because that's the thing I've wanted to do for a long while. All right, so I'm early for my appointment, 11, by about 45 minutes, so just a quick update, really. Um, I've been to Waterstones and saw a copy of the D&D starter set, and although I've already bought two of those in my time and given them away to kids, it's Colin's Pike Pit Green's fault, but I've bought another one. And that's got me thinking as well about, you know, 5e. What is wrong with 5e? So the answer to that is, of course, not a lot. Um, but that's got me thinking. So, yeah, we'll see. Just a quick update anyway, because... Crikey, Nottingham is a bit of a ghost town on a Tuesday. <laughs> but hey, whatever. Right, the long and short of it is that basically over the last few days, I've come to realise something really important. And I just wrote a letter, an open letter to my players about it, which I really hope they're going to accept in the spirit as intended and, and respond to positively. But basically, I realised the kind of GM I am. And that's a GM who believes in the agency theory of fun and the idea that basically it's more fun to go on safari. Okay, so I'm getting some feedback from the players this evening, which is kind of cool. Main thing seems to be pace of progression, which is too slow. And, you know, I can take that one. I can see that. And I think a lot of it comes from my own desire to be careful with a new game. I've been playing Castles and Crusades. And, you know, it's hard really, but you worry about Monty hauling them with too many magic items. Um, the rulebook seems to be saying, you know, give them a relatively small amount of XP for creatures as per the old school gaming. And treasure gives you XP, but of course the guys are going to get back with the treasure. So I think what I need to do is just think a little bit more carefully about progression rates. And uh, especially in the early part of the game, the guys seem to want to get to sort of second or third level a little bit more quickly. I guess in a way this is where like D&D 5th edition really wins <laughs> because you know it's quicker to progress they've lowered those thresholds in a really big way but one of the nice things in Castle and Crusades is you do get XP for magic items and I think the biggest thing that I've made a mistake in doing is, is not giving enough magic items really um, I tend to be stingy with them and there's some really nice little rules about how to control that you know so that, for example, in the Adventurer's Backpack, there's the idea with, with very low-level magic items, like a plus-one sword, giving it charges um, so that, you know, they will need to find another one sooner or later, and that allows you to keep awarding them the XP for finding a new sword, which lasts for a while, and then they find a new one. And there's a general encouragement in Castle Crusade as well to have things break, 
one of my classic problems with all the D&D games and a lot of role-playing games generally is that, you know, when you have your armor and your weapon, that's it. It kind of never seems to break or get worse. And again, I think there's some argument for having kind of quite visceral combat and using the, um, you know, the crits and the fumbles um, a little bit more imaginatively to like, you know, occasionally have stuff break, have... Maybe when the monsters get a crit, I could have maximum damage or I could have them break something, you know. Um, and I always love the old shields will be shattered like house rule where you can block an entire damage of a blow, you know, and break your shield, that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of place for that. I think um, I could allow that as a general rule with weapon blocks and parries as well, um, which again, I think would help preserve life at lower levels. So I'm going to play around with those ideas and um, see what I can come up with. The second bit of feedback is, I think, to do with expectations in the game, to be honest with you. I think, you know, I tend to assume that I'm giving good clues, and I don't think I necessarily am giving good clues. I think sometimes what I think is obvious isn't. <laughs> um, and it's that whole rule of three thing that the Alexandrian talks about a lot, the need to... If you want the players to form any kind of conclusion, you need to give them three clear clues to that. And this is where the whole Sly Flourish 10 clues, a session thing, I don't know, maybe it breaks down a little bit because I think giving them one clue is fine, but actually it'd be better off to give them three small clues about one conclusion at a time um, and actually know that the players are picking up on those things. Um, as they as they look around. So again, I think planting my clues more carefully um, is kind of be a better approach. So for example, in the game when it kind of went wrong on Friday, I think to me it was quite obvious that they were in a cursed and desecrated tomb, which was causing the undead to sort of regenerate more quickly, or the dead dead to become undead more quickly. But that just really wasn't the conclusion come to they'd begun to suspect it i think in some of the things they were saying but it wasn't clear enough and i think you know what it's what something that angry gm is always going on about is this you know don't beat around the bush tell them what they need to know and i think sometimes i need to just be bolder about telling them what they need to know i think the the sort of third area an issue is one that's a little bit more difficult but it's Oh, it's about some of my weaknesses as a GM um, are things that I kind of need to be perhaps more open about, I guess. So one of the things that crops up is that I'd like to do more, um, or the players would like to do more interaction. But the reality is that, that interaction zines are something that I struggle with. And while I'm using the Angry GMs or have used the Angry GMs guidance on this, which is brilliant, by the way, really simple, I find I'm not good at prepping it. I kind of, you know, when it comes to rushed prep, when I don't have a lot of time, I'm not good at creating those NPCs and doing that on the fly. And I kind of think I need to do myself a favor and prep a few more NPCs with sort of those basic, simple kind of guidance in there but they also need to recognize that you know there's a tendency for me when I'm on the fly to try and avoid having an interaction with the players um, because I'm of two things one is I'm a bit afraid of play acting and I don't like it very much 
and that's easy to get around because I don't have to do that. I can still describe the scene if I want to. And of course I need to up my game and, and play act a bit more. But the second thing is actually sometimes how the players react scares me. Um, when a character, a player goes into play act mode and they're aggressive, it triggers me actually. <laughs> it triggers the being bullied when I was a kid thing. Um, and I kind of don't like it. I don't, I don't like that. And I think, you know, I've, I, I kind of need to be honest with that, about that with my players and say like the play acting stuff is fine, but when it's really hostile, uh, it's difficult for me. <laughs> it actually is difficult for me and it's something I need to work on. Another thing is that I've got a player here who wants to develop character more and in the sandbox play, you know, I've gone for the, you know, death is common and I think I need to sort of blend that. I need to, again, not necessarily soften the threat, but I just need to allow more space for deeper character creation more time for character creation actually whilst I've been really keen on the whole kind of get your character done in 15 minutes you know there are players who want to develop a character and, and, and have that deep connection to a character and I think I need to allow for more of that and again CNC has plenty of options to consider um, plenty of ideas in the um, Castle, Castle Keeper's Guide and I think I just kind of need to bring some of those in so next step for me really is to reimagine the campaign. And um, the upside of this feedback, at least from the two players who've come back so far out of the three, is they're kind of happy for me to build a new sandbox to start a new game, really. They're asking me not to change system, um, stick with something at least they own, and it seems sensible to me to stick with Castles and Crusades. Um, you know, to master it, I guess, to get into it. It's a good game, and there's nothing inherently wrong with it. I just think that I need to, like, decide on some options, and I need to put that out there at the start. So over the next few days, I guess I'm going to try and, you know, develop um, a campaign that's a little bit more, um, more bit more me, um, but also a little bit more considered. And so I guess the whole practical upshot is that this has been, whilst a difficult uh, little transition, potentially a really positive one, if only I can hold the group together. So yeah, I'm going to get my head around it now and uh, see what I can do. Game on. That's it for another GM's Journal episode, um, and it's the last episode of Series 2. I just want to say a massive thank you to all the guys who called in, and um, I blocked those all together at the start of the episode. But, you know, guys, thank you so, so much. It makes so much of a difference to hear from you and to have your comments. In addition, if you wanted to catch the me rolling up character solo from Acts, then if you go to the Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash RPG Rescue, you will be able to grab an unedited, uh, roughly 45 minutes to an hour long solo session of me rolling up the character 
if you find that kind of thing exciting. But, you know, just wanted to let you know. So, last episode of Series 2. I'm going to be taking a break over the next couple of weeks as Easter hits. As always, please let me know what you think. Do drop me an anchor voice message to share any responses that you have. Remember, my goal is to create a community discovery about role-playing games in which you can feel accepted. And whether as a player or as a game master, you know, come on, join the conversation. In the meantime, all that's left is to wish you a fond farewell and all the best at your gaming table. My name is Che Webster, and this has been a Roleplay Rescue GM's Journal episode. I'll see you again on the flip side. Game on. Game on.